love you. We just, uh, in this moment, we know that you're here with us. And Father, we're in awe of your presence. And Lord, I felt like jumping out of my skin, Lord, for just uh, knowing that you're here and you love us. And I pray that you would feel our praise this morning. Father, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You, be, you may be seated, but you already are. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at JCI. And uh, I wanted to tell you about, I had an opportunity this weekend. I don't know what you did this weekend, but uh, Friday night and Saturday, I had the opportunity to hang out with our kids ministry. And Pastor Jason and his team put on just an amazing event for the kids. It was their discipleship weekend world tour. And so Journey Airlines took the kids from the United States to Ireland, from Ireland to, uh, I think we stopped in India, from India to Guatemala, from Guatemala to Brazil, and back to the United States. And it was a whirlwind, let me tell you. And uh, we had a great time. The kids learned a lot about the Lord. But uh, they they challenged the kids to invite their friends. And uh, my son brought his... uh, most of his baseball team, to say the least, and they, uh, so he won for the most friends. So he got to choose who he wanted to uh, pie. Well, let me, let me give you one guess who he chose. And uh, let me just say we've taught those boys well how to throw um, because they, they literally, uh, I had, uh, uh, I think, eight whipped cream pies that were smacking my face. And uh, they didn't just, you know, come up and just kind of stick it in there. They, they smashed it on there good, smeared it all around. Then my daughter got in on the action, and she came up and took that pie and not only smashed me in my face, but she thought she would cover my whole hair. And I had it in my ears and in my nose and everywhere. And even after I showered, I went home and I showered up. We had a little birthday party for my four-year-old, and I thought, okay, I'm going to feel fine. And, it, and I'm like, man, I still smell sour milk. And then this morning I showered, and it's like every time I breathe in, I smell sour milk. So I just I can't quite shake it. So if you have an idea, a remedy for for uh, whipped cream up the nose, I will take it because it is killing me, man. I just cannot stand the smell. It's like you get in a car and you t- smell sour milk. That's what I smell everywhere I go. So maybe I just need to double up and rinse her out. I don't know. <laughs> but let me ask you this morning, have you, ever, have you ever wished you could spend one day with Jesus? Have you ever wished you could travel back and be a disciple and spend one day with Jesus? Well, I guess the question would be then, which day would it be? Which day would it pick? I think many of us would probably pick the day that he rose from the dead, have an opportunity to see him come out of the the tomb. And, and man, what an amazing day if you could just be a sidekick and kind of, you know, raise up and go, whoa, that was cool, and get to see all of it. What about the day he walked on water? I think that would be one of the coolest days. What about the day that he fed 5,000 people? Uh, You know, what about the day that he raised Lazarus from the dead? That'd be quite a day to go in there and see him just bring this guy back to life. I don't know that I could handle the day that he was crucified. I think that would be a little tough. You know, if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, you recognize that that was, they just depicted to the best, but can you imagine really seeing that? That would be difficult. I know this, no matter what, a day with Jesus would change your life forever. A day with Jesus, no doubt about it, would change your life uh, forever. So I want to take you back to a day with Jesus, with with the hope that the, the way you learn and the way you grow spiritually, or at least, at least your awareness of how people learn and grow spiritually, will be changed forever. I hope that's what will occur after our day with Jesus today. So on this day, uh, we're hanging out with Jesus by the lake. Now, there's no jet skis. 
There's no ski boats, but we're hanging out with Jesus at the lake. And there's hundreds of people, and we're sitting there, and we're listening. And so if you don't have a Bible, our ushers will walk around and hand you a Bible. If you don't have one, this is yours to keep. Uh, If you have one and left it on the kitchen table and you're flight out the door dragging your kids, uh, this is yours to use today, and you can leave it before you go. But turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, and I want to read to you this great parable from Jesus. And it says in uh, verses uh, 1 through 23, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a a boat. Sorry, I guess there was a boat there, not a ski boat. There's no water skiing. But he got into a boat and he sat in it. And while all the people stood on the shore, uh, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, what produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times that was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people belonged Uh, Long to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but do not hear it Listen then to what the parable of the sower means When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it The evil one comes and snatches it uh, snatches away what was sown in their heart This is the seed sown along the path the seed falling on rocking ground uh, rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling from uh, among the thorn refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on ground, good soil, refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty or 30 times what was sown. So Jesus teaches this amazing lesson while he's on uh, at the lakeside. He's sitting in this boat, and if you know acoustics, you know that obviously if it was in reverse, they, you try to yell to somebody in the water and they can't hear you, but on, on, the, on the boat, he, could, he would have this like megaphone speaking from the, from the water. So Jesus teaches this great parable, and the disciples don't understand it. They don't understand what he's saying. And, and let me ask you this. Would it surprise Uh, You to hear me say this that the text that we just read may just hold 
the keys to the best spiritual growth and the best spiritual life you could have. Now, you may say, how is that? Well, I want to explain it to you today. And if you want to have that, I'm going to show you two things so you're aware of this, the power of this text that we just read. First, I think it's clear that Jesus points out to us this really startling reality. And that is that there are a lot of religious people who don't get it. Did you see it in the text? We'll look at it in a moment. Uh, There's this spirit of the religious crowd, and they didn't get it spiritually. Listen to what Jesus said about them. The spirit of the religious crowd. He says this in Matthew uh, 13, uh, 13 through 15. He says, though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they don't hear or or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. In other words, they're, they're seeing. They're coming to a service, but they don't really see. They're, they're hearing, but they're not really understanding. They, but they, they see, but they're not perceiving the things of God. Their hearts are calloused. And so let me ask you, do you think it's possible to sit in church your entire life and never get it? Or sit in church for year upon year and never get it spiritually? I, I think the answer is clearly yes. In every single congregation around the world, I believe there are people who, who don't quite spiritually get it for whatever reason, whatever is the block for them. You know, the same number of people in the church get divorced as outside of the church. Uh, nearly the same number of teens who are active in their youth group are sexually active as teens that are outside of a youth group. The difference is only 3%. Most people who are walking away from the faith today are people who have grown up in church not those who haven't really been exposed that much and are just kind of, uh, just kind of uh, lingering in. The, the people who have been in church longer are getting, uh, are getting like spiritually discerned and they're walking away from it. Dennis Rader, you may remember from several years ago, uh, the guy that kind of taunted the police to find him was the BTK killer. If you remember, he was an elder in his church in Wichita, Kansas. And he was a serial killer at the same time. It's evident he didn't spiritually get it. His heart was calloused. Now, that's not the goal here at JCI. Clearly, if you remember from Amy in the announcements, the goal of JCI, our mission statement, is to see people who are far from God for whatever reason. I was there. Maybe you're there today. I I was there. I was there far from God. I was there far from God before, uh, obviously before I was a Christian because I just lived in my life for myself. But even as a, an early Christian, I was still far from God. I still had a long ways to go. But we see people who are far from God. We, we exist to see them far from God become passionate Christians who then go make a difference in the world. We want to come alongside and help people to grow. We want to help them to get it. We're trying to help people get it spiritually. It would be, it would be a disaster for me today to think that no one walked out of here today with maybe a light that didn't go on to say, Do I have it spiritually? And I'm not trying to place doubt in there if there's not doubt in there. But if there is has been some doubt and you're wondering what could it be in my heart that's causing me not to get it? What what is the callousness on my heart that I could ask God to soften so that perhaps I could walk out of here today and, and I get it spiritually? Jesus tells us what happens when people get it. If you saw the text, we read it, but the first part, he said, these are the people that don't get it. But then he also shared with us the the people that do get it. Look at what he says about them. The spirit of people who get it spiritually. 
Matthew 13:15b the, the last half of that verse says otherwise they might see with their eyes hear with their ears understand with their hearts and turn too often people are not willing to turn their lives over to him they want to just keep living the same way but go yeah I want to go to heaven but I don't want to turn my life over I don't want to do anything different turn for me, I know there was a while that I, I, I didn't understand and didn't repent. I didn't say, God, I want to turn from my sin and start walking to you. But this says they understand with their hearts and they turn. And it says I would heal them. So they see. They come to the service and their eyes are open. They recognize while we're here. Why we are here is to worship God, to learn, and then to give back. Uh, they hear with their ears. The message sinks in. They, they understand with their hearts. Their lives are touched by God. It's evident that God is working in their life. They're being used by him. They may not have everything perfect. They may have some trials, but it's evident that God is working in their lives. And I don't know about you, but isn't that how you want your spiritual life described? And, and if it is, then, then I hope today as we learn, you'll join me as we dive in and we learn how the disciples learned to follow Jesus how they did so with the greatest spiritual impact. Now, as I was talking to someone about, about preaching, they said, now you're going to include food in that message, right? Because you don't talk about any message ever without including some food. So I kind of pondered, and I wish I'd, I wish I'd have gone ahead and done this, but I don't know about you, but I love going to the Royals games, uh, not just because I'm a lifelong Royals fan, but because I love the peanuts, I love the popcorn, I love the hot dogs. So I thought about perhaps we could have had somebody walking down the aisles. Maybe we could have given the ushers those little deals and they could have walked down. And I could have maybe had Robbie tossing uh, peanuts here, hot dogs here. And we could have, you know, we could have just kind of uh, had a little buffet while we uh, enjoyed uh, learning from God's word today. But I, I knew I had to personalize it a little bit by uh, talking about food or it just wouldn't quite be the same today. Um, so how did the disciples learn? I, I digress. I'm sorry. So we, we get back in uh, to, the, to the text. How did the disciples learn? Well, it's obvious that we look at it. And a lot of times when they would get together, they, they, they would hear him. But they just didn't get it. So they'd ask questions. So the first one is they would ask questions. After the disciples would hear a message, they would, they would come to Jesus and be like, what did you mean? And in this case, in Matthew 13, 10, they're like, why do you speak in parables? You know, we, we, don't, we don't totally understand what you're saying here. In, in Matthew 24, they had more questions. Tell us when the end time is, and, and tell us what the sign of the times will be, and, and when will the end come? And they had, they had these questions. And I wanted to pause for a moment and let you know that if you're here, you're not considered a skeptic if you have questions. You're, you're not considered a, a person who is, is a bad Christian or a or a, a real bad skeptic, if you have some questions about faith or you have some things in Scripture you want to you want to walk with us and wrestle with and talk about. Because I unfortunately I recognize that there may be some places where if you have too many questions, they may get a little afraid of questions to say, well, just take it by faith. And sure, there are there are there are parts that we take by faith, but there's so much. There are a lot of wonderful answers to the questions that you may have. And we want to help you. So it's we, I guess I wanted you to know that it's OK to have questions. I talked to someone this week that just said somebody they know that has questions. I said, that's great. It's okay. We're not going to consider them a skeptic because they have some questions. So the process uh, for the disciples uh, was they, they had a question mentality, meaning they wanted to learn more. They wanted to learn deeper. In fact, it was interesting. They asked so many questions and didn't get it 
that I think Jesus one day kind of maybe in a, in a moment, he goes, are you guys dull of learning? Because they ask so many questions. And then at times, because, because Peter didn't get it, didn't understand God's plan, he, he, he made some statements and Jesus actually had to say, uh, Satan, get behind me. In fact, after three years of walking with Jesus, after a burial, after a resurrection, after spending time with the resurrected Jesus, even we see in the book of Acts, they still had some questions for him. So, so spiritual growth was a process for the disciples. It's a process for us. It's one with a lot of questions. It's one with a lot of great answers. And, and again, I want to remind you, it's not always the heart of a skeptic to ask questions. My wife and I like to read the Bible to our kids. And uh, over the years, this has been a mainstay. I'm not going to say we've, we've done it every single night, but for the most part, we've tried to read the Bible to our kids. And as I'm reading, and, and I'll have to admit, sometimes I'm a, I'm a tired parent. Do I have any tired parents in here? I'm a, I'm a tired parent. And I'm like, just please let me read the text and get out of here. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> Sometimes I want to read the text and go lay down. Okay? But guess what happens? Who's that guy? Well, why did he do that? Well, what's this all about? Well, wait a minute. Why did they do that? And then there's some real serious ones like, who's God? You're like, oh, gosh, I can't just go lay down on that one, you know? You got this, you know, these are some, your four-year-olds asking you some real deep questions. But it's okay. So I don't think of my kids as a skeptic, like, Oh, you horrible sinner, doubter. You know, it's like, okay, good. What they're doing is they're trying to learn. They're trying to grow. I want them to be prepared so when they get to high school and someone throws a curve at them, they're like, you know what, I've asked that question and here's the answer. So it's okay. Um, Spiritual learning, true spiritual learning, it's going to hit the heart. Uh, You're going to discussion, the discussion that we have is going to drive it deeper. And then the conversation you have, it's going to build convictions. And and that's exactly what the disciples did. The disciples talked about it among themselves. And this is why I think we don't realize how much people need discussion. People need talking things out. And I think that's why the counseling industry in the world is a billion-dollar industry. Because people realize they need to talk things out. And unfortunately, too many people don't have any outlets for it. There's either poor communication in their marriage or poor communication in their friendships or they really have no depth to any of the relationships in their life. And so they're like, I've got to talk to somebody. Let me, go, let me go lay on the couch. And I'm not saying it's not necessary. Believe me, from time to time, we've taken advantage of opportunities when we've struggled or needed some extra help. We, we've done that. But unfortunately, it's a billion-dollar industry because a lot of people don't have other healthy outlets to, to find a way to to work through processes in their heart and in their mind and in their struggles. Um, here's what's interesting. We need to talk things out. Yet we come to church Sunday after Sunday. We listen to a sermon and we leave. And we skip the step that I just said we have the greatest spiritual growth is asking questions and growing deeper in discussion. In other words, we come to church, we listen to a sermon, we leave and we wonder why it doesn't sink in six months later or a year later, or no action takes place. We're like, oh, that was a great one. Oh, but now I got busy. Oh, that was a great one, but I don't have a chance to get to a small group. And we wonder why it doesn't sink in. And I want you to understand how we learn. And and I'm realizing that my visual aid, I thought I was covering it, but you can see it. (laughs) So that's okay. But if you, you know, a lot of teachers will tell you, 
that one of the best uh, ways to learn something is through multiple, multiple, uh, um, whatever that word is I'm looking for. But you know that if you if you read it, you're really only going to uh, retain about 10%. And you probably find that to be true. You can read something. A couple, couple hours later, someone says, what did you read? And you're like, I forgot what, I think I'm in the book of Acts, but I can't remember. <laughs> and then we know that if you'll hear it, you come and hear a sermon, you'll probably retain about 20%. And then we know that if you will uh, tap into some visual aids, if there's some visual aids to help you, which my visual aid today. My visual aid today, even above and beyond PowerPoint, I was like, i got to throw another one in there. 30 to 50% retention. So if I'm lucky today, you'll remember about 50% of what I say. But we know that if you get into a group and you'll discuss it, or maybe you're the leader and you begin to teach it, the studies show that you will remember 70 to 100%. I don't know about you, but if, if the Word of God is how we live our life, and if spiritual things are what give us the power to live through our life, doesn't it make sense? I don't know about you, but I want to go for this. I want to go with the retention of 70 to 100% instead of just... Well, I read it, and I heard it, but that's it. Eighty percent of the time, I can't remember what in the world I, what I learned. So the disciples learn by asking questions and by participating in deeper discussion. And uh, so we see that the first way that they, they learned was by asking questions and having discussion. The second way the disciples learned is that they searched for deeper personal meaning. They, they searched for deeper personal meaning. Matthew 13, verse 18 They're asking them questions, and Jesus says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. So in other words, you mean that there's something deeper to to what I'm reading? Yes, there's a personal application that I believe you can walk away with. You know, in your personal Bible reading time, I hope you're not just going, well, okay, I've got to read my two chapters today, I've got to read my 30 minutes today, and just walk away saying, I did it. I hope you're really saying, God, what do you have for me? What does your word have for me today? If you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Christian uh, preached a message about pressing in close. The, the lady who had the problem, she, she, she bled. And doctor after doctor, you know, he couldn't figure out how to stop. And she pressed in to touch Jesus because she just knew that he could, he could do something. And, and we talked about a lot of people came to the altar that day. And myself and my wife were one of them. Because he said, what would it be that you would ask Jesus for? What do you need from Jesus? And I knew instantly what I needed. I've shared this already with, uh, with two of the small groups that I lead. And, and it was like I knew exactly. And I remember I had a hard time spitting it out to my wife. I can remember I felt a little bit like a bumbling idiot. But I was trying to talk, and I could hardly spit it out. But I, re- I, I, I knew that I needed power. And let me explain it to you. Um, maybe you do. We do. A family member with some health issues. And I really pray, and, I, and a lot of times I'll have people pr- say, would you pray for me? W- would you pray for so-and-so? Would you pray for so-and-so? And I'm like, absolutely. And many times I'll either try to do it right then, and certainly if I visit someone in the hospital, I'm going to pray right then. And I literally, I'm like, Lord, I need your power right now. I, not my eloquent words. I will probably bumble it up. But, Lord, I need that when I say amen, I need your hand to just start moving on this situation. I need you to begin to, if it's healing, bring healing. If it's just drawing this person closer to you spiritually, do so. But I recognize I need his power. And a lot of people ask me to pray, and I don't want my words to be nothing. 
Not that I believe they are, because I believe God's working. But I need God's word to be working in my heart, and I need his prayer, my prayers when I'm touching and, and encouraging and trying to pray someone through it. I need there to be power. And so I was really wrestling with that, and, and there happened to be a statement that was made as I'd been praying. Um, someone had said, like, well, we are praying. And to me, I kind of took it like, well, we're praying, but not a lot's happening. And I just, I, it kind of sunk in. When that's your job, you, I felt like a failure. I felt like, oh, sorry, I guess I'm not doing a very good job. And I remember saying, I'll step up my game, kind of in a quirky, break the silence, didn't know what to say, but it, it, it pricked my heart like, God, I know it's not me stepping up my game, but please, I need your power. And just, it was either that night or two nights later, I was in my, my Bible reading time, and I came across 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I read these verses, and I told Heather, I said, man, I needed this. This is exactly what I need. And I ended up texting it to a, a couple of folks because I knew that, I hoped it would bring some encouragement. The first part of it brought encouragement to me, and then the second part was bringing some encouragement to some family as well. But the first part, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7 through 10, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We are the jars of clay. We have this treasure inside of us if we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And I, it was like God was saying, Ryan, I'm with you. I know you're a jar of clay. I know that you're just, I know it's just you, but I'm working through you. The power to touch people's lives is through me. And I was just like, yes, I need that. God, how did you... Oh, yeah, that's, I remember how you knew. You knew what I needed. And then there was this comfort in verses 8 on. It says, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. God knew exactly what I needed in that moment. God knew exactly what my family needed as I, as I shared these words of encouragement with them because I think they felt hard-pressed. They felt crushed. I think they felt despair. And I wanted them to say, God is with us. God is going to lead us. His power is what's going to do it. And, you, you know, I don't know if you realize, the reason I tell people to read their Bibles is not just some spiritual calisthenic, just to do it. But you know what? When you work out, guess what? You get stronger. And, and, and what's the benefit is, and in First Timothy we've been reading that physical exercise is good, but spiritual exercise is better. And the reason is, is because this word is alive. The Bible tells us that it is alive. And what does it say in Hebrews 4.12? For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This word comes alive to speak to my heart. And it, guess what? If you'll get in it, you may say, well, how's God's word going to touch me? I don't know, but God does. And God knows exactly what you need when it. I, if you haven't had one of those moments, maybe you're not reading with God. Speak to me today. God, what do you have for me today? If you haven't had prayer time, maybe you haven't said, God, I need your direction. I need finances. I need this. I need whatever. God, speak, to your, speak your word to me. Help it to come alive in my heart. And I love that. And as you, re, as you read and reflect on, a, on whether it be a sermon whether it be your Bible reading, I want, to, I want you to ask a few questions. 
I loved it. I, I got a chance to connect with my daughter after service, and and uh, it was interesting. She had some words of encouragement, but she's also like, I think you said um or and a couple of too many times. I was like, Thank you, Hannah. I'll work on that. And uh, <laughs> But I saw her sermon notes, and, man, she had written all these questions, and she had written all these things, and I thought, awesome. She's paying attention. She's trying to know and learn more than just, oh, the sermon's pretty good today, Dad. So these questions for deeper meaning and deeper understanding, how does, how does this apply to me and my life circumstances? God, you know, I'm, I'm reading here. How does this connect with me? And you might just see it all of a sudden. How many of you have ever seen a, uh, a movie where as someone's reading the text, it gets all magical and like, you know, starts sparkling? Now, I'm not saying it's going to start sparkling on you, but what I'm saying is it might connect in your spirit and you go, Oh, my, I didn't see those four words before that really spoke to my heart. And I'm just telling you, God's word, God knows how to do that. It is alive. It's real. It's living. Treat it good, too. Don't throw your Bible across the room. Uh, What questions does this answer for me? You know, God, what, what questions have I had that this helps solidify? I know that my wife and I have talked over over uh, over the years, and she's she's wrestled as she's tried to help ladies, as she's tried to encourage herself, of of at times believing the lies of the enemy, and she's been texting out some ladies in the church that came to our marriage enrichment small group last week, and and just trying to remind them of who they are in God, who they are in their walk, so that they don't believe the lies of the enemy, but they those answers for them because I have a feeling there's, there's some ladies are like, what am I worth? Am I worth anything? Do I have any purpose? And as you read God's word and, and it's connected with my wife, and then she's been able to text that out to some ladies to say, you're worth so much. Here's what God's word says you are. Here's the reminder of how much worth you have in God's eyes. So what questions does this answer for me? What issue does this settle for me? I'm trying to decide about this, God. I'm really, I'm really wondering, should I do this? There are some things that are real obvious. You read something, and you read a few verses and go, oh, man, it's plain as day. I'm doing what I shouldn't be doing. And there's other times you've got to wrestle with it a little bit. It's like, God, I, I think this door's open, so I'm going to take a step. God, I think this door's open. You're confirming. I'm not seeing any real warnings. I'm going to keep going, moving forward. So this is, this is helping me. Uh, fourth, what challenge does this offer to me? Man, I've been hit between the eyes a few times by reading my Bible especially in the first five years of my, my Christian walk, where I was really trying to work on that righteousness part, where I was trying to actually live like I thought Jesus would live and not like the, you know, the way that I used to be, which was you know, plenty of things wrong. Um, what challenge does this offer for me? You might, it, you might really find it right there. God's saying, this area I need you to work on. What do I need to do right now? I don't know what it is, but God's word may be pointing you in that direction. You might see the words go and have confirmed in your heart that you're supposed to be on the missions field like our friends from Tunisia, like the doors. Go. Go. Okay, I get it. I guess I'll quit my job and sell everything and go. Go. What do I need to do right now? So God's word has personal meaning and has impact for us. And the disciples learned that way. Obviously, as they wrestled with with Jesus and as they talked with him about the scriptures, he helped them to apply this to their lives so that they can grow. And the third way, the third way the disciples learned is that they understood Satan's strategy. 
Jesus wanted us to know of Satan's plans. And I don't know, and my fear is, I've, I've talked with a few folks, my fear is that people have either discounted him altogether, like, well, he doesn't really exist, Satan, or that he can't have no influence whatsoever in my life. And, and you're, you're poorly mistaken. Paul told us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. So there are demonic influences. And we're going we're gonna to look at a series in the near future. Pastor Christian is going to teach on supernatural. And it's going to be uh, how do we have spiritual warfare and how does that affect our lives and what is it we can do to protect ourselves, what is it we can be to be proactive. And I hope you won't miss that because as our church and as you continue to grow and do things for God, you'll be mistaken if you don't realize that there will be some spiritual warfare. We've already begun to meet with some folks and, and begin praying even now knowing that we're stepping into even more of a battle zone as we go forward. So it's interesting that, that Satan's strategy isn't necessarily to keep us from hearing. And I think it's probably because he can't. He can't keep us from hearing. Because the Bible even says that nature declares the glory of God. Romans chapter 1 says, look around. God is obvious. Like the world is screaming there's a creator. And in fact, it even says that if, if we don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. If God wanted to, he could make the rocks talk and show his glory. So Satan can't, can't keep people from hearing. Maybe he can just keep them from paying attention. Maybe he can keep, just keep them from stepping out and doing something about what they hear. Watch this. Each of these people who hear the message but don't get it spiritually. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, it says they heard but they didn't understand because the enemy snatches it. Matthew 13, 20, 21, they, they hear but they don't develop because of trouble and persecution that comes their way. Matthew 13:22 they hear but they don't take time to think about it or do anything about it. it it says other things become more urgent and choke it out in the busyness of our life the worries of our life keep us from actually applying what we learn satan's strategy i believe is to stop your spiritual growth he wants to stop it he wants you to hear hear and don't apply it there he wants you to 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 have your seats kind of cause you to squirm a little bit Oh my, he's getting close to home. And then go out here and forget it because you just get occupied with other things. I think Satan's strategy is to capture people's attention between the hearing and the understanding. Between the hearing and the applying. And we've got to recognize that we can't do that. And I, I believe that didn't stop the disciples because they had they had small group. They had a group of people that would encourage each other. They had a group of people that would sharpen each other. They had a group of people where they were, they were uh, discussing the deeper things of God and they were becoming strong in their faith. And if we look at the model of teaching in the Bible, Jesus' model of teaching, we see him right now. He's sitting in a boat and he's teaching a bunch of people. And then what do we see after? The disciples are gathered around and they're asking him questions. They had small group, they had small group discussion. In the book of Acts, the model of learning was, was large group preaching followed by small group discussion in the homes. In Acts chapter 2, you see that they would teach in the synagogue, and then they would go home to home, and they would have small group Bible study. The model of the Apostle Paul's ministry, again, was large group preaching, and then he would go around and he would have discussions uh, in small groups all over the place. And they would have, they would have uh, time throughout the week where he was meeting with people and discussing with them in small groups. So all of these models of learning, they worked to grow the disciples. The question is, what's your strategy? 
Well, if you remember a few weeks ago, we had that survey. And we just had an anonymous survey that we handed out and we had people fill out. And as we looked at over 36% of the people at JCI had never attended a small group. Um, 64% had uh, been going less than twice a month. And so we're now part of that might have said, well, it didn't fit my schedule. You didn't have one that meet my needs. We're working on that. We recognize we, we want more. We have like 25. We, we want to have more. More locations, more times, better child care, different location for this. So we, we, we're, we're trying to do that. We're trying to improve that. But it appears that if all of those models worked of, of large group teaching and then small group, if we hear it and very clearly understand it, we see how the disciples learned, how the early church learned, how the apostle Paul taught, and we ignore it, how are we any different than the spirit of the, of the religious crowd who didn't get it? In other words, they heard it, but then didn't really hear it. They saw it, but didn't really see it. Their, their hearts were calloused. They, they, they heard, but they didn't perceive. Do you see how are we any different if we take the message and we don't apply it? And so let me ask you, do you have a place to ask questions? Do you have a person to talk to? Do you have a small group that you can do this with? Have you begun to go under the surface of the sermons? Have you begun to, to read deeper in your Bible and to begin to apply it to your life and, and figure out right now where I'm at, what is it I need spiritually to grow? Do you understand that Satan has a plan to tear you down? He wants you to hear and never do anything about it. Do you recognize that? And the, re, the reality of those questions, if you haven't figured it out, the reality of those questions all come to the culmination that you need a small group. You need a group of people that you can come together with and say, what do you think about the sermon? How does that apply to your life? And what do you think about that text? How, how did that really sharpen you? And hey, can you, can you pray for me about this? That's exactly what we need because that's how the disciples grew. And I don't know about you, but they're the ones we're reading about who helped change the world through the power of Christ in their life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to just do church. I don't want to just say, hey, we have a church. <laughs> Woohoo. I would like it to be where like, wow, look what that place is doing for God. Look at all the people they've impacted in their community. Because the people heard it and they went and applied it. Look, look at all the people whose spiritual lives are just through the roof going for God. They're, they're living righteously. Their marriages are improving. Their, their relationships with people are improving. Boy, you want to do business with that guy. He's the most ethical guy I know. Boy, you want, you want to get in that guy's small group because everybody, everybody in that group is just growing and, and doing great things for God. Isn't that what you want instead of just, hey, JCI, Summit Lakes Middle School? I do. I do. 